0: Well, I want to go into the whole subject from Judges, the first two chapters of Judges. And I was in um, Africa back a few years ago, and the pastor that was uh, heading up the conferences that I was speaking on, he said, did you ever preach from Judges 1 and 2? And I said, what's it about? And he said, it's about how Israel lost its influence in the world. And I said, no, I never have. And so I laid it down for a number of years, not really thinking about it. But recently, I began to think about it again. And so as I prepared this, one of the things that I experienced emotionally was this anger that's in me. I I realized there's an anger in there that I said, God, I don't want my anger coming out while I'm preaching this. And... So if you sense there's anger in my voice, it's because there is, and I have to say that I don't really want it to be there, but sometimes you get emotional about things, and you start to, um, out of your personality, reveal what's going on inside of you. Now, I don't apologize for my anger. Jesus was angry a number of times, if you want to look it up in your concordance. He's very clear that he gets angry sometimes with the Pharisees, and then when he cleansed the temple, he not only got angry and yelled at them, because he said, you've made my house a house of, of thieves. In order for people to hear him, he had to yell at them because the noise in a market like that where everybody's bickering with their seller. And also he made a whip and drove them out. So he got angry. So if you think I'm angry, you're probably right. And if you want to email me and tell me that I was angry, I'll simply agree with you. I, I don't want to project on anybody because I'm as responsible for where the church is today as anyone else. I I can boast of being raised in a Christian home. I'm proud of my parents who loved God and taught me, read the scriptures to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, but as I experience more and more of what we're going through and how I read the Bible in relation to what we're going through, I begin to realize as Israel lost its influence in the world, the church, the evangelical church primarily, has lost its influence in the world. So bear with me. And even though I'm not always smiling, bear with me because I am serious about what I'm teaching here at this time. First Chronicles 16, verse 8. This was the mandate of the Israelites. God put them here for a person and so first chronicles give thanks to the lord call on his name make known among the nations what he has done now i emphasize that israel was to make known among the nations doesn't say just among their own people but among the nations the whole purpose of god bringing um, israel into egypt the way back at the time of joseph was to set up the stage so that the, his people, even though they had to go through a hard time of slavery, the miracles of God to bring them out and bring them through and to bring them in was meant that the world would realize what an awesome God they have so that he would look good in the eyes of the world. So this passage says, make known among the nations what he has done. Again, Isaiah twelve four. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. So, uh, way back then, Isaiah 600, years before Christ came, is told to say this to the children of Israel, that God's name is to be exalted, and you're the one to do it to the nations. I want to read Psalm 67, a short psalm, but it also says much the same thing. Listen to what the psalmist says here. My God, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, O God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly. You guide the nations of the earth. See, they wanted the nation of Israel to say to the world, we have a just God here. He's in charge, and he'll rule justly. May the people praise you, O God. May all the people praise you. Now, here's the blessing that comes if they would be obedient to the Lord in verses 5 and, pardon me, 6 and 7. The land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. The word fear means to have great respect and great awe. It's not the fear that we use in English today. It has to do with fear and and respect and awe. And so, the children of Israel kept losing that. And the reason why they kept losing it is because they became like the people in their community that that were not Jewish people. They were not They were not God-fearing people. And they they begin to fail what God told them to do in Judges one and two, they were clearly told when you come into the land, and this is true all the way through the previous five books of the Old Testament that they were to clear the land of all the people, and that was judgment against those people for the terrible sin they had landed into in their societies. the The main one was was sexual immorality. And I've done a research on the seven basic nations that Israel was supposed to drive out. And I wanted to know, what was the basic sin of each one? Why was God disposing of them as a form of judgment? And the answer is simply, every one of those seven were so sexually immoral, so warped in their thinking, that God said, it's time that they be driven off the land and I'll give it to my people. And so it was part of God's judgment and God was using Israel to do it. The trouble is Israel did clear much of the land under Joshua, but then they started the locks off. And so in, in Judges chapters one and two, I'm just gonna quickly go down the things that happened here. In chapter one, verse 21, up to this point, They were clearing the land, up to verse 20. And then in 21 it says, the Benjamites, who was one of the tribes, failed to dislodged the Jubites. though so those are the people that would have been around what we know now as this city of Jerusalem. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the people in the territory they were given. Verse 29, nor did Eph, Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. And then in verse 20, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those living in Akho or Siloam. And, and then verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive those out living in Beth. And he says in chapter 2, verse 2, the second half of that verse, you have disobeyed me, the Lord said. And the reason why they were supposed to drive them out completely, because God knew that if they lived among these people, they would eventually become like them. It says in Proverbs that, that um, Good character can be distorted and spoiled by wrong character, hanging around the wrong people. And God knew that would happen. They would be enticed to start doing their sacrifices and all the sexual activity that went with their sacrifices as they served their heathen gods. God knew that, and he wanted the land totally cleared. But Israel failed to do it. They started to fear their their armies, even though God had many times before that totally showed Israel that they could win the battles with a few people against many people. The iron chariots of the Philistines were not a match for God's people because God was with them. But when they ceased to, to drive them out, Generally because of oh, oh, fear or just a compliment on us. Oh, we're okay. Well, we won't do what they do. We're fine. And yet we know from many accounts through the scripture where they became like those that lived among them. And thereby aroused the anger of the Lord, where he brought um, persecution on them. Often a heathen nation would encamp around about them and take them captive, whatever it was. Sometimes they dragged them off to another nation because they became like the people that they were supposed to have driven out. It's verse 10, it says, another generation grew up who knew nothing of the Lord. So here we are, the first generation, they drove some out but didn't drive some out. The next generation came along, and they must have thought, well, I guess it's okay, my parents didn't drive them out, so therefore it's fine. It says in 2nd chapter, verse 3, therefore I tell you, this is the Lord, that I will not drive them out before you. In other words, God said, I would if you picked up your armor and draw them out, but I'm not going to drive them out without you doing something. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. And believe me, that promise happened over and over again in the history of Israel. Now, I need to say something at this point. I would like you to be able to relate that the... New Testament enemies that we face are not human beings like the Old Testament. The New Testament, our enemy, are the demonic realm, the satanic forces that come against us, often through people. But the people are not necessarily our enemy. It's the force that's driving them. And so we need to realize, if we can see that, that the New Testament is trying to use the Old Testament to say this is what evil people will do to you. But in the New Testament, we have a different attitude. We take up the word of God as our sword and our shield. So if, so we have the same mandate. The church today has the same responsibility to be... A, a warrior against our enemy, which is the demonic realm, not the people, against the demonic realm. Our mandate is to make known throughout the earth the greatness of God. It has not changed. So come on, listen to this Ephesians 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the grace of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God. I need to stop. When I started out, I said it was the job of the Jewish people to make known to the whole other nations, not just theirs, of the greatness of God. And now Paul is saying, because the jewish people even after jesus was here died and rose again is gone the jewish people and the christian church at that time the jewish believers that's all there was paul began to realize no the church isn't just to get the jewish people um, to follow the messiah jesus the church is supposed to be speaking to the whole world and so he says based on the scriptures I read to you at the beginning from Isaiah and Chronicles and Psalm 267, he is now saying, we, God has given me the mission to preach to the Gentiles. And what was he to preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, notice the word everyone, there's no one in the world that we're not responsible for, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Listen to 10, verse 10. His intent was that now Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, in verse 9, it says, make it plain to everyone. And now in verse 10, he says, in order to get to everyone, we have to deal with the demonic first. So we have to make it plain to them. Then verse 11 says, according to his eternal purpose." That was God's eternal. That means timeless. It's always been there that the whole world would know about the goodness of our God, his patience, his justice, his fairness. We would know about that and give it to the world. It says he accomplished all that in Christ Jesus our Lord. What happened? We are not From what I can see, as an evangelical fellowship of churches around the world, we are not influencing the world. Why are so many churches struggling? Why are so many closing up? Why are so many pastors resigning because they're tired and weary and give up because they're not going anywhere? Why do so many people are leaving the church now? Many of them meeting in homes, but not meeting in the institutional church. A lot of questions. I was in the business world for the first 10 years after my schooling. Listen. It was an international company and if we, country, pardon me, international company, and if we had lost a high percentage of our sales, we'd be doing something about it. I was told that in my country here, in the last um, 12 years, we have lost 51% of evangelical mission, uh, membership. So what are we doing about it? What's wrong? So let me go back into the business role. Let me see if I'm sitting in a, a business meeting where we tear things apart to find out what's wrong, where we can say with honestly, we are concerned about the state of our affairs and we want to do something about it. I'll go back to judges. Listen. 2:15 chapter 2 verse 15. The nation of Israel had literally gone to sleep and they put up with the sin of the things around them. This is what the scripture says. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them because they, they, yes, they put forth an effort once in a while, but because of their state of adopting the practices of the heathen, now God was, was against them. I feel sometimes the things that go on in the churches today, God is against us. And until we stop as leaders and say, why is God against us? We're not going to get anywhere. We need to start examining our whole program, our attitude, our, our viewpoint, everything about this, and start saying, what is wrong? that were experiencing so much defeat and so much loss. He swore to them, to the Israelites, I am not gonna be fighting with you because you've compromised, you've distorted what I told you to do in the first place and you will not. Get my support any longer. Verses 21 22. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. So you might say, well, what are we going to do? All this problem here in our churches, the board can't get along. We cast out the pastor because we blamed him for everything. And after he's gone, the problems are still there. So maybe it wasn't his problem after all. Like, what are we going to do? It's about time we sat down and said, God, show us what is wrong with the way we're doing things. Show us, my God. Why are the nations around, why is my community, why is the city or town I live in, why are they not being affected by the church that sits in its midst? God said, I've, I've, I'm not going to drive out the demonic from all around you, even from inside of your church. Sometimes some of the people that are in there, I'm not going to do it. I'm a, I've told you you were supposed to do it. I read to you Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read to you some more from Ephesians to show you our battle, which we have not taken up in many cases. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of stirring up trouble. So we often see problems. We see personalities coming out of bad character that, that disrupt and hurt people and cause divisions. And we kind of back off and say, well, we don't want to make a fuss. We don't want to cause any hair to be uh, messed up here. We just, oh, yeah, God will look after everything. God's in charge. No, he told us that we're in charge way back at the time of Adam. He put us in charge. It's about time we realized that and did something about it. I'll go back again to Judges chapter 15. This is a story of Samson. And Samson had been doing a lot of things to the Philistines, burning crops and killing their soldiers that were trying to kill the Israelites, holding them in captivity. And so the, the Philistines came to the leadership and said, you give us Samson because he's hurting us a lot. And so the leadership, instead of saying, no, we support him, they said, yes, we'll handle them over to you. If you just make things nice and peaceful, nice and quiet, we don't want any trouble, we don't want any disturbance, we just want to be nice and quiet. So they handled Samson over. Listen to what they said to him. 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Ethan and said to Samson, that's where he's hiding, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? Listen, church. We are saying we don't want any trouble. Yes, we don't want to bother that little group of people that's causing dissension, and we don't want to speak to that person or that board member that's got wrong agenda and trying to take authority. We don't want to say anything because we would be disturbing and maybe cause trouble, and we'll do anything not to cause any trouble. Now listen. Because of the ministry we've been in, I didn't pastor a church, but because of the ministry. Over the years, we've had a lot of people come to this ministry, and in the end, um, they would seek counseling from us. And I've heard so often people saying, we know that there's a problem. We know who's causing it to see, but the leadership won't do anything about it. And you, and you, as leaders, they might have said, "Well, we don't do it. We don't want to disturb those people because it might hurt them, and they get mad at us and leave." So we just let God look after it. But the people watching saying, "We are the ones that are hurt because they won't deal with the problem." That's common. We've literally taken a position. Proverbs fourteen four is interesting. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Now, let me just explain to you what that means. Oxen represents strength. And that strength means we will stand in the church and we will deliver the church. We will do the things that have to be done. Even though it makes a mess, it has to be done. We know under the fear of the Lord, under his power and his suggestion that we get at it, or his command may be better, we're going to do it even though it makes a mess. And you see, the Proverbs here says, when we say, yes, we will do something about it, an oxen leaves a mess, I know. But because the church said, oh, we don't want a mess, therefore there's no oxen in the doll. There's no oxen, there's no strength. There's nothing to deal with the problems. However, we can have our local members meet and say, oh, we have no problems. Another reason we don't do is because if we start casting out demons, people might get scared. I've heard them say that, might get scared. Jesus did it in public all the time. As a matter of fact, if you went to Mark 5, Jesus had dealt with the gathering demonic. And the gathering demonic when he was delivered. A legion of demons went into a herd of pigs, and the pigs rushed down a hill and drowned in a lake. The people went back into the city and told them, and they all come out and they ordered Jesus to get away from there. He says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, listen, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What in the world? Here's somebody who everybody is afraid of. He'd been chained. He breaks the chains. People were afraid of him. And he's set free, sitting there in his right mind. And the people are afraid now of something else. What is it? Well, let me suggest something. They're afraid that maybe they're next. I don't know what else it would be. So, yes, it can cause concern and fear in the church, but I know from experience, if you set people down and teach them from Scripture what deliverance is, then they settle down. But listen, I'll tell you something about seed that is put in the ground. Jesus was sowing seed among the gathering people because in the very next chapter, verse 54 of Mark 6, Jesus and his disciples came back to the same area. We don't know how many days it was, but he came back to the same area. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Why did they recognize him? Because they remembered the pig thing. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him are healed. Listen to me. Jesus sowed some seeds. Yes, there's fear at first. Yes, there's torment. Whatever the reason was, but within a few days, I believe, he's back again. And the whole region had talked about what they saw with the pigs and the gathering demoniac. They saw that. They talked about. It. They saw that man. He was still clothed and in his right mind. And that whole region heard about Jesus. And now they're bringing people everybody to him to be delivered and healed. Listen, church, yes, it may cause some dirt in the stall. Yes, it may cause some problems. But I'm telling you right now that the main thing that the church has missed over the years is dealing with the demonic that keeps on insisting in not only our neighborhoods, but making it way into the churches. And we don't deal with it in the church. And the church eventually crumbles under it. And people are lost, people are out. You might say, oh, they probably went to another church. Many of them don't go back to church because they say, if that's what Christianity's all about, I'm not interested. God's plan for the church was that people could come to the church and that people would, would be Healed, delivered, the gospel present, presented to them, delivered, and um, discipled, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was God's purpose. So we need to have something happen within us, As and I'm speaking mostly to the evangelical church, but I guess any church can listen to it and take from it. But we need to realize that we are not a people in the church. I, I'm part of the church, by the way. I'm blaming myself as much as anybody. And we are not taking the commands of Jesus seriously. The commands to the church, I have many of them seem to be long lost to our vocabulary and to our practice. So let's start here. First of all, we have his authority. Hebrews 1, 8 to 9. I want to tell you what authority is, first of all, why Jesus had authority. But about the Son, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. I want to stop there. The scepter in the book of Esther is an example. The king had a scepter, and with that scepter, people understood what they were supposed to do and what they couldn't do. And you see, that scepter spoke of one thing, authority. And so Jesus, it says his righteousness was his scepter. In other words, Jesus' authority is because he walked with God, obeyed the Lord, and he had authority as a result. He says, you have loved righteousness. This is God speaking about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So we have a situation where Jesus ministered out of obedience to the Father. And that obedience meant, was righteousness, and righteousness was his authority. In obedience to the commands of Jesus, that's our righteousness. And that righteousness opens the door and gives us authority. And out of the authority he has given us, there's power. I heard years ago, a man tried to explain this, preaching to us, and he said, Even a young lady, 98 pounds, but she's a police officer, and she can stand at an intercession and tell great big trucks what they can do and cannot do. Why? You say, well, she has power to do that. No, she has the authority, and out of that authority flows the power. Jesus called his 12 disciples together to him in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read to you verses 1 and then 8. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So I assume that today Jesus is going to give that authority to us just because he chose to give it to us. I don't think so. It was especially assigned to them because it was before the cross, before Jesus had died for their sins. So, therefore, it had to be given to them as a temporary thing. It only lasted so long. Verse 8 this is what he said to them heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. That's something the church has missed. We have received so much, and yet we keep it for ourselves and don't pass it on to everyone else. The gracious salvation of the Lord. Then in Matthew 28, Jesus said again to them. This is just before he ascended into heaven. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen, But he's saying, that authority has been given to me, and we know that when he went to heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And because of what was going to happen, Jesus then go on and says to them, because all authority has been given to him, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, not just a specific group, but all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, for surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what does it involve? Making disciples. All right, Mark 16 spells that out for me. These signs will accompany those who believe. He's not just talking to apostles or prophets or vows. He's talking to those who believe. In my name, They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands in the sick people and they will get well placed. There has been abuse of this thing about um, handling snakes and drinking poison and there's a lot of people dead because of it. That is not something that we toy with. Paul at the end of the book of Acts, when he put some wood on the fire, a snake jumped out and grabbed It wasn't something Paul was doing to show off how spiritual it was. It was an accidental thing that did there, but God caused it to do it in order to show the people there that there was something special about that man because he didn't swell up and die like they thought he would. Verse 19, and the Lord Jesus spoke of them. He was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied them. Now, we know they did that after Pentecost, because when Pentecost came, they are all together in this room, 120 of them. They weren't out at that time. They waited until Pentecost had come. That's our mandate, and I know from experience, I've heard testimonies, but I also know from experience, people getting saved because they saw people change when deliverance happened, I know that. Let me talk about in the church, right now we're talking about evangelism, but in the church, There can be people in the church with demonic influence or even captivity in certain areas of their life. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking about people who are now saved, spirit-filled, but he's talking about before in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now listen, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now you might say, well, yes, they had spirits in them before, but not after they could say. That's not what it's saying. It's saying it's in people who are disobedient. And I can give you some names of people in churches that I've been involved with that were severely disobedient people. Disobedient to leaders, disobedient to parents, disobedient to God, disobedient, period. And they're in the church, period. Christians can have evil spirits influencing their lives. Maybe not controlling the gathering demonic, but influencing areas of their lives. Second Corinthians 11, 4. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, listen, or if you receive a different spirit, Listen, they received the Holy Spirit when they were baptized in water and then baptized the Holy Spirit. They received a a Holy Spirit. But now he said, because you listen to deception, you receive a different gospel, you receive a different spirit. They need deliverance. You can argue all the way to the bank if you want, but Christians can receive a wrong spirit. This scripture says so. But we're willing to do what the leaders in Israel did when the Philistines ruled over them. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? And again, our failure to deal with the enemy within the church first, has brought about so much hurt, so much disappointment, because we won't deal with the issues that are at hand. You know, when Jezebel was back in the book of, I believe it was one of the kings, Jehu was the man who God raised up to deal with this domineering, Manipulative woman who controlled Israel. Her brother, her father, pardon me, her husband, Ahab, was a wimp. When he didn't get what he wanted, he curled up in his bed and, and whined. He's a king of Israel. Not Judah, but king of Israel. He's a wimp. And she took over. And later on, a man named Jehu was appointed by God to bring her to judgment because of what she'd done controlling the land with a demonic rather than Christ-like attitude. And when Jehu came to the city where she was hiding, she looked out a window up there and and combed her hair and put on some makeup, I guess, to try to entice him into the same place where the 650 prophets were eating at her table. And I don't think they're having lunch together. It means more than that. She was trying to entice Jehu, and, and she said, is, have you come in peace, Jehu? And Jehu, knowing she's full of the demons of manipulation and control, and she's talked about, again, the book of Revelation, because she is among us, she's in the end-time church. Jehu said, there will never be any peace until Jezebel is dealt with. And that is true of countless churches. Until you deal with that manipulative, controlling spirit that is below the leadership, that's trying to influence leadership, until we deal with that, there will be no peace in your church. We want to have nice-looking churches. We don't want any mess. We don't want any conflict. We don't want any problems. The world is full of problems, and if you think for one minute you can keep it up by making a whole bunch of rules and regulations to guard against problems, Satan's smarter than we are, he'll find a way to get in to destroy that church. Back in Second Kings 16, chapter 16, there's a man named King Asaph went to Damascus to, to meet with the king of Assyria, and he saw an altar there in Damascus, and he sent to you, are the, you, are, you are the priest, a sketch of the altar with details, plans on it for construction. So this priest went ahead and built this altar. And when the altar was built, something else in the temple, all the furnishings according to the Old Testament standard had to be perfect, had to be where God had placed them. And they were there for certain reasons to give a message to the people out there about the holiness of God and how to deal with your sin and how to respond to the sacrifice. Everything was supposed to be the way God wanted it. But because he built this altar and replaced the altar of the Lord, other things start to happen. He began to move things around, begin to change things, and everything in the temple when he was finished at the, at the end, was at 17, was so changed it had no resemblance to what God had told Moses and the leaders after him had to be in that temple. And you see, so much of what we've happened in our churches today resembles what was gone back there at that king's time. Instead of finding out God's best for us and what does he want and what direction does he want us to be going in, we have rather decide, oh, well, that big rock concert out there was so well attended. If we did some of the things they do, the lights or the smoke or the, all the, the sounds, uh, the, all the weird stuff that they do, we should do them in church. We'll draw people into our church by doing those things. And we bring into the church things that the world has taught us instead of doing the things that God has taught us. There will never be a replacement for holiness. We need to stop copying the styles and entertainment of the world and to escape the lure of the world. to de- And we need to die to the desire within us to have a big congregation or to have people really thrilled. We need to say we need to get back and do the basic things God told us to do. I've said this before. I'll say it again. There are very few churches that have actually a discipleship program in place so when people get saved, somebody can take them through a discipleship program, teaching them what Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 tells us we're supposed to teach them the elementary teachings the Bible calls it. We need to take somebody through. We're totally disrespecting God's command to the disciple. We leave them to say they need to get on their own. In that discipleship, they needed to be set free from demonic activity, all the stuff that was in there because of disobedience. We needed to get rid of that. We need to teach them the way of the Lord. We need to encourage them to seek God and to spend time in His Word. But no, we just say, well, make sure you come Sunday morning, and um, we want you to always hear, and here's an envelope so you can give, and we basically teach that much and we leave the impression that because you're born again therefore you don't have to do anything else just wait for god to take you home and you go to heaven totally contrary to scripture because when we get before the almighty the judgment seat of christ we are told clearly in scripture matthew said it revelation says we'll be judged according to what we have done not according to what Jesus did when he saved us. We'll be judged according to what we have done. So somewhere we need to say, we need to get down on our face before God. We need to start asking him, what do we have to do in order to renew the church, whereby it will start to affect our community around us. And maybe even get so powerful, it will start to affect the town or the city, whatever. We need to start saying, what can we do in order to do what Christ told us to do back in Ephesians, that we, he wants us to tell everyone about the goodness and goodness of God. But you see, we thought we had a better idea. And we don't want to do that because that caused the master. We don't want to do that because that might cause some people to be hurt. We don't want to challenge that person because we, we might get into trouble. Whatever. We've done all those things, and we haven't done what Jesus said. Well, why don't you read Timothy and Titus? Paul there is writing to both those guys and telling them how to deal with the church, correction, rebuke, exhortation. They're all in there, and yet we're afraid to do them. Oh, I wouldn't want the reputation to go out that we're hardened people. Listen, when I find a church that says, yes, we deal with sin, I want to be a member of that church and there's a whole bunch more people out there that's saying the same thing. House churches all through Canada and the United States are wonderful. People are joining house churches because they're tired of the of the performance back there in that church. And all those people would start coming back when they found out this church deals with its issues and its problems and there's no argument we're just going to do it. Yes. Somebody might get upset with, yes, somebody's going to scream and holler and say, oh, that pastor really hurt me. Yes, but there's a whole bunch of people that won't be hurt if you deal with the one person that's causing the problems. Do you know why a lot of people get hurt in churches today? I can say this from listening to them. They get hurt because they didn't get what they wanted. Things weren't going their way. And they get hurt because they don't get what they want. They can't control the situation. If anybody should have been hurt, it should have been Jesus. When people taught us back there that deliverance was a thing of the past, healing's a thing of the past, do you know what they did? They nullified the Word of God. The Bible says that. They nullified it. Nullify, in case you don't have your dictionary, simply means to make it as if it doesn't even exist. And the Word of God coming out of many churches today, it's just like that. It's so bland, so watered down, so compromised, there's no power in it. You understand why? I'm going to tell you the reason why so much that's being spoken from the pulpit today is because it's compromised and watered down. And when you do that, it becomes your word if you're doing that. Jesus said he would confirm his word with signs and wonders. He never said he'd confirm your word. And your word has no power unless it's under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've compromised scripture, it can't be. Because in spite of how many angels have talked to you and how many dreams you've had and all the stuff that might give you a lot of what you think is revelation until you just simply obey the word of God and take the word of God and heal people and cast out demons, mature people through discipleship until we do the things he said and water baptize or whatever is part of all that discipleship until we start doing it, we're compromising the word of God. We're, we're saying it's like a buffet and we'll just pick what we want here. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. That's what we do when we compromise. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So those that want to have The fullness of the Spirit and a mature walk with the Lord. We've shut the door on them because we've said many things, saying it's not available today or it's not um, even for today. None of that stuff is, is all gone. All the power of God is gone. And people are denied it, even though they want the power of God. They deal with their lives and the problems in their lives. We strip it out of them because we compromise the word of God. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us, we did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Now t- he's talking here. This is actually David. They had they had had the, the Philistines had won a battle, and when Samuel was was old and and they had taken the ark down, it wasn't Samuel's. Desire, but they took the ark with them in Israel and they decided that would help them win the war, but it didn't because there was so much evil. Saul's reign had been evil, full of evil and murder. And you see, at one point, that ark was then housed in a Philistine village. But the people all broke out with diseases. Some said it was hemorrhoids, some translations say it was just sores or whatever, boils. So they sent it to another one thinking maybe it's just that town, but when they sent it to another one, the same thing happened. And so what the Philistines did, they got their wise men together. What do we do? Well, we need to build a cart, put a couple of oxen on it, and keep the uh, and these oxen have to be female, they have to just add calves, lock the calves in a pen and hook them up and put the ark on that wooden cart and send it to the and if they go we know it's God. Now those cows would normally have gone back to where their calves were calling them, but they headed out into into Israel territory. Now, you see, Israel said, good, the ark's here, and they decided to carry it on a cart, and away they go with it. But you see, it almost fell over, and one man put his hand against it to keep it falling over, and and you're not allowed to touch that ark. The, The Philistines did. They didn't have the law, but Israel had the law, and so he died as a result. And David was very upset and afraid, angry God and afraid. And then he read the scriptures. He probably asked the Levites, what's wrong? Somebody read the scriptures, and the scriptures say, there's supposed to be two long poles put through the rings on the sides, and the priests are to carry it. It wasn't to be carried on an ox cart. It wasn't to be put on a a transport truck or anything. It was to be carried by the priests. And David said, the reason why that man died is because we did, uh, in, we did not inquire of the Lord about how to do it. And let me say, we need to inquire of the Lord. How do we run your church, Lord? How do we do it? Because people are dying. The trouble is in our age, they say, oh, it's just the society we live in. It's just the... No, people are dying. And we're responsible if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing to get them saved and discipled and set free. We, the church, have disobeyed the Lord and we take it lightly. We, the people of the church, have disobeyed his commands and we pretend we didn't see it or we we think it doesn't really apply to today. One of the things we've seen in our seminars, when we're dealing with issue, we teach a lot on spiritual warfare, personal spiritual warfare. And one of the things we've experienced is people saying, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. It says in the scripture you're supposed to do it, but they never done them. I was in that place years ago. Lord starts showing me something I had to do to get out of a mess I was in. And I said, Lord, I never realized I was supposed to do it. Yes, I read it. I knew it was there, but I didn't realize. And you see, the church has to come to a place where we're going to read the Scripture with new eyes and new understanding. We're going to find out what's wrong here. Unless we do that, we're destroyed. I have been surprised at the number of times the Bible says in the Old Testament, and again tells us in the book of Revelation, unless... we return to the Lord, forsake our sins, we as a nation will be destroyed. It says it a number of times. You can't read the prophets of the Old Testament without realizing we are in trouble because we're disobeying the Lord. Father, we need our eyes opened We need our hearts warm to you, Lord God, that we can trust you, that we can start to do the things you called us to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.